message that God has just put in my heart. And you can go ahead and bring up that background slide. I want you to get a good look at this today because this is where we're going to spend most of our time. We're going to talk about victorious Christian living today. I believe that most people want to live a victorious Christian life. If I was to poll the room right now, I'm sure everybody would say, yeah, praise God, I want to live victoriously. But do you know what? Most Christians are sitting in these chairs so afraid that people are going to find out who they really are at home, what really goes on in their life. And the enemy has bound up so many of us, even though we're born again, we're still living in bondage. And see, I believe that God wants us to become victorious in our Christian walk. But how many of you have ever felt weighed down by sin? Weighed down by guilt, shame, or maybe it's not sin for you. Maybe it's religion. Maybe it's the burden of religion. You have to live a certain way to be accepted. And so if you take a picture and look at this as your life, you feel like, I want to live victoriously. And and if I could just, if I could just get this out, if I could just, well, that's supposed to come up when we take it out. But if I could just, if I could just get this out, if I could just get rid of that sin, if I could just remove that sin from my life, you ever felt that way? Then I'll be free. And ever felt that way? Man, I, I keep tripping up over this same sin. If I could just remove that sin from my life, then I would be free. But how do you know? How many of you know the harder you try to remove that sin, the more you focus on the sin, the bigger and the more powerful that sin becomes? Isn't that true? And so what God wants us to realize is that all we need to do to live victorious in Christ is to stop trying to get rid of the sin of our life and start applying the grace of God's word to outweigh the sin in our life. And that is it right there. All day long. It's not about us. Well, I got I to get rid of this sin. And oh man, I, I hope nobody knows when I get to the church on Sunday that I, you know, I actually lost my temper this morning or, or last night what I did. Man, stop focusing on that. Because as we're going to discover today, that is not who you are. That is not who you are when you are born again. And so maybe for you, it's not sin. Maybe, you know, sin's not really an issue in your life, but you've got this weight of religion. So many churches are not preaching the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're preaching religion. Religion is man's ideas about how I can be good before God. Guess what? It's impossible. And we need to be freed from religion, and we need to be free from the power of sin in our lives. And here's how we're going to do it. I want you to go to the book of James. Now, back there in the media booth, did you guys get my amplified version of that scripture? We're going to go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 6. Now, I'm going to read to you the amplified. So you can go to James 4, but then everybody look up at the screens. I can't tell you how much of my life as a young boy and a a young man... I was just always trying to remove the sin. I was focusing so much on trying to remove the sin, but the truth of God's word came and I realized that if I would just apply the grace of God in my life, that I would be free from the power of that sin. That if we just apply the grace of God to our Christian walk, we'll be free from the burden of religion and trying to live up to standards that we can't live up to. 
So James chapter 4, verse 6. Now, if I was to ask you to define grace, most of you would say, what? Unmerited favor. Boom. Most of us would say that grace is unmerited favor, and that's true. Grace is unmerited favor. But we go to the book of James chapter 4, verse 6. The writer here, and the reason it's in the Amplified is because they're expounding on the word grace. Watch this now. The writer here isn't just saying that grace is unmerited favor. Read it. But he gives, that's God, gives us more and more grace. More. Everyone say more. Oh, if we get too much grace, you're giving people a license to sin. Really? Because when I found the grace applied to my life, I didn't want to sin anymore. He gives us more and more grace. Now he's going to define what grace actually is. Power! Grace is power. Everyone say grace is? is. Power. Power. Now, not just willpower. Grace isn't just, oh, yeah, I can will myself against this. No, that's the world. What is it? Grace is power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to break this down this morning. Grace is power. Say grace is. Power. See, God's unmerited favor has made way for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, grace is unmerited favor, but it's his unmerited favor upon you, his love towards you that has made the way for grace, the power of the Holy Spirit to get functioning in your life. And so it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Every born again believer has the Holy Spirit inside of him or her. And so when that sin comes up against you, when that temptation comes up against you when the burden of religion is weighing on your shoulders if you're born again you actually have this power resting inside of you but most of us aren't tapping that power because as we're going to learn today we need to change our image we need to change our profile picture in our mind of who we are and who the devil is and we'll talk about that in just a minute or so but grace is the power of the holy spirit now what does the power of the holy spirit do to meet this evil tendency. What is the evil tendency in your life? What is the sin trying to weigh you down? What is the burden trying to weigh you down? Guess what? There's grace for that. There's grace for that. You can apply the grace of God in your life because grace is always greater than sin. Grace is always greater than condemnation. Always. Because where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace is always greater. So grace is the power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency. See, every one of you right now, if I was to ask you without a show of hands, but you could probably locate one area of your life that you continually struggle with. Don't tell anybody, but who can locate one area of their life they continue to struggle with? Okay, everyone else is a liar. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But most of us, Most of us can locate at least one area of our life that we continue to struggle with. And it's that secret shame that we sit in these blue chairs. We say, praise the Lord and hallelujah. But dear God, I hope you don't find out what's really going on in my life. But see, there's grace for that. That's why the scripture tells us not to judge one another because we all need an abundance of his grace. So many of us can locate an evil tendency, something we continue to trip over. But guess what? There's grace 
for that. And what's beautiful about this definition is that there's not just grace for that evil tendency, but watch this now. More and more grace, which is the power of the Holy Spirit to meet this evil tendency, to meet this evil tendency, and all others fully. Fully. Look at it. To meet that evil tendency and all others fully. See, in our head, we can digest that. But the the question we're asking now is, okay, okay, okay. How do I get that power to work in my life? How do I get that Holy Spirit power to work in my life? We're going to talk about today. Because right here in James chapter 4, now you can start turning to your scripture. See, James doesn't just say, here's what he does for you. James tells you in verse 7 how to get it working in your life. How many of you want that power working in your life? I want that power working in my life all the time. So how do we get it? Excuse me, James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. See, the writer here lays out a few, di- a few different things that we can do to get this power of grace to work in our life. Number one, submit to God. Number two, resist the devil. Now, see how number one is written, submit to God, period, and it just ends right there? But this is great. Resist the devil. It doesn't just stop right there because that'd be pretty scary if God says resist the devil but doesn't give you anything that's going to happen. He says resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's a promise. So if you do step one and step two, guess what? The devil's going to flee. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Watch this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And I want to park on these three today. Submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. Because I kind of view those as the training, the fight, and the victory. There's a training that takes place when we're Christians. There's a fight that we're automatically engaged in. But there's a victory that is and can continue to be won in our Christian walk. So we see the training, the fight, and the victory. I want to break this down with you. So we're going to start with the first one here. The writer of James, who is James, the brother of Jesus, says that we need to submit to God. Well, what does it actually mean to submit to God? It means to put yourself under and obey, to be willing to put yourself under. See, we struggle with this, especially in Western culture, because most of our lives here in Western culture is a fight and a race to the top. Most people are racing to the top. Most people are in competition with one another. I just want to get there. I just want to get to that next level. And we buy the lie that if we get to that next level, everything in our lives will be satisfied. Wrong. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. See, many people wonder, why is God doing miracles around the world? Why are amazing, tremendous things happening? Well, maybe because others don't have the resources that we have. Maybe others haven't been built up with this egotistical lie that we just need to get to the top and take care of ourselves. Submit to God means being ready and willing to put yourself under. See, humility is a tricky thing because we take humility and we begin to interpret it as beating ourselves up and putting ourselves down in the wrong way. Oh, I'm no good. You know, I'm, I'm not good enough. I don't know. How That's false humility. It's really pride. But true humility 
is confidence, not in self, but in God. True humility is confidence in him who has called you, that he who began the good work is faithful and just to complete it until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so true humility says, I have no problem putting myself under God. And you know what? When I put myself under his authority, there are two amazing things that happen. Because when I put myself under his authority, it means I'm ready and I'm willing to obey. I'm willing to obey his word. Even when his word, I'm ready to obey his word what he says about me. See, when we put ourselves under his authority, we discover our identity. Getting under God's authority gets us under his word. We're ready to obey his word. Whatever you say, Lord, I'll do it. Even when it comes to how he views us, even when it comes to what he says about us, because most people will read the scriptures and they'll say, oh, they'll go and share with their friends. God wants to do this for you and God wants to do that for you, but you never take it internally and apply it to your own life and believe that God could actually love you, that God could actually forgive you, that he is not condemning you. It's not just for everyone out there. It's for you first. And submitting to God builds an identity. See, most of us, we, every, who's on social media? Pretty much everybody's on social media now. Okay. And uh, no, Mr. Nick's not. He's not on social media. So there's a whole group of people that are not on social media. But, but we have these profile pictures on social media. Profile pictures are interesting because we put up what we want people to see about us. We show people how we want to be viewed. You ever think about your profile picture? For those of you who haven't, I might lose 10 of you for a little while, but hang on now. We put up these profile pictures because this is how we want people to view us. The problem is we got to make sure we have the right profile picture of ourselves. We got to make sure some of us need to change our image this morning. See, when I'm submitted to God, I'm under his authority and I'm willing to obey, even willing to obey what he says about me. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. What does God actually say about you? I want you to go with me to the book of Colossians. If you're in James, turn to the left. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. If you are submitted to God, then whatever he says goes, including what he says about you. You need to know what God says about you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. When you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. See, he's talking to, to Gentiles now, people who actually didn't have a covenant relationship with God. So these people really had nothing to lean on. See, some of us have grown up in the church, and so we have this, this condition. We've, we just know what it is to know God. But some people out in the world, they struggle to come to God. They struggle to come to him because they, they think that God is going to have things against him, uh, against them. But the scripture says right here, but you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, even though beforehand you had no relationship and no covenant with God, he who is Christ has made us alive together with us, having forgiven you all trespasses. The first thing we need to know when we come to Jesus is that we are forgiven and we are free. See, the devil starts, he always starts talking to us, right? There's always that voice. Oh, well, you're this and you're that. Remember this from way back when? The first thing I need to know is I'm forgiven and I'm free. Let's keep reading verse 14. This is where it gets powerful. Having wiped 
out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Let me tell you something if you didn't know. Just by being born into this world, we are all born into a sin nature. You know what? Don't blame Adam because if you and I were there, we would have done the same thing. That's what the scripture teaches us. I used to think, man, if I was Adam, you know, I wouldn't be like that. Yes, you would. We all would be like that because all of us sin from the beginning, the scripture teaches us. So there's nothing better in us than was in Adam. And what we have to realize is even though we have come and, and, and what happens is that being born into this life and born into the sin nature, there is already a record of debt that we cannot pay. And too many Christians or too many people in the world, they see the record of debt and they just say, ah, the heck with it. I'll never make it. I'll never make it. And so they walk around. I used to have this image when I was a kid and, and I didn't understand it, but I was raised in a Christian household, came to church all the time, but I had this image that my hands were tied behind my back and I wanted to take a step forward to Jesus. I wanted to move forward, but every time I got forward, I felt like there was this chain that jerked me back. Listen, we can't be judging people out there in the world. We can't be judging each other because that's how most people are feeling. They're living under the weight and the condemnation of sin and guilt and they know there's something wrong and they don't know what to do. We know there's something wrong and we don't know what to do but the scripture says here in verse 14 having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross you and i it's like that tally sheet it's like that receipt that comes up at the at the uh, at the store when you're purchasing you know uh, we are a family of six now. And I feel like I have teenagers in my house. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, wow, where did the food go? <laughs> you know? It's like, okay. I remember, what it cost, I remember what it used to cost my parents back in the day. Okay, why, why is my, my list getting higher? And now you get this receipt from the grocery store. The receipt's this long. And you're like, huh. Oh. But, but you know, it's the same thing. We're born into this world. We have that sin. We've got a scroll of lists of, of, of sins and things that are lined up against us. Jesus walked up to you, took that receipt from you, went to the cross, and nailed all those requirements to the cross once and for all. And then he came off the cross and paid for that debt that you and I owed. We were there racking up the debt, racking up the debt, racking up the debt. But he already paid for it. He has already paid for it. And grace, grace will empower us to live victoriously in Christ because we realize that we're free and we're forgiven. First thing we've got to realize when we come to Christ is we're forgiven and we are free. The next thing we have to realize is that we are children of God. This is One of my all-time favorite scriptures. Go with me to John 1. John chapter 1. One of my all-time favorite scriptures, 11, 12, and 13. When you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. He who is Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So for those of you who may not understand the context, Jesus was a Jew born unto Jews. The Jews were waiting for Messiah. They knew he was coming, but they didn't think Jesus was him. So Jesus was a Jew born unto Jews, but the Jews, many of them in the time of Christ, did not receive him. Okay, that's just factual. Let's keep going here. Verse 12, 
but as many as received him. Say as many. What's the condition there? As many. Is there another requirement that I'm not seeing in my Bible? Does your Bible have another requirement? As many Jews? Does it say as many Jews? No, it says as many. As many as did receive him. To them he gave the right. That word right means the power and the authority. To them he gave the right, the power and the authority to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were not born, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You've got to realize as you're sitting here this morning that the reason you can apply grace to your life and live victoriously in this life is because you're forgiven and you're free. Your sin is not charged against you. There was a debt that was owed, but Jesus paid that debt. Not only are you forgiven and free, but when you come to Jesus, he accepts you as his very own. You are a child of God. That means all the benefits that God has, he pours out on his children. That means all the protection that you need, he pours out on his children. God doesn't want us broke, busted, and disgusted. That's not a testimony for him when we're in him. If we're in him, we're his children. Jesus says, how many of you, if his son would ask him for a bread, would he give him a stone? If he asked him for a fish, would he give him a serpent? If you just being evil, worldly people know how to give good gifts to your children, why wouldn't the father give the Holy Spirit, one translation says, to those who ask him? You need power to live this Christian life? Guess what? You got it. The Holy Spirit in you is all the power that you need. He gives more and more grace. You're forgiven and you're free. You're a child of God. Oh man, this keeps getting better. Number three here, you are a new creation. I'm going through some, you know, foundational Christian scriptures, but we just need to read them with this context this morning. Can you go through, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5? I know maybe many of you have read these scriptures a hundred times over, but in the context of what we're studying today, submitting to God is the training that we are in. And when we're submitted to him, we're submitted to his word, including what his word says about us. God has nothing negative to say about you. God loves you. He only has good things for you. And that needs to click in our minds. So 2 Corinthians, I'm in 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to go to verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, what's the condition? Anyone. What's the qualifier? Anyone is in Christ He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are come new. Listen, I know as well as you do, there's a devil out there. We have an enemy, and we're going to discover we don't have to go looking for him. He's going to come looking for us all the time, and he wants to see what we're made of. But uh, I want to get ahead of myself, but, but what we need to realize here is that when he comes and he starts talking to us about who we used to be and the sins we used to commit, We have an option right there at that moment. We've got to make this decision now. I tell them all the time, (laughs) that person doesn't exist anymore. I don't know who you're talking about. Because as far as God says, he says, I will wipe out your sin. I, even I, will wipe out your sin and remember it no more. So devil, that person you're talking about, he's dead. This one you see right now, according to Romans 6, is alive unto Christ Jesus with the same righteousness that Jesus Christ has. So I don't know what you're looking through. I don't know what window you're looking through, but that guy's dead. Say, oh, that's just, that's a lie. No, it's true according to the word of God. You may not feel it, but it's true according to the word of God. 
See, we always speak how we feel, but we got to start looking in the mirror and start telling ourselves who we really are. When I'm submitted to God's authority, the first thing that does, it gives me my identity. I'm forgiven and I'm free. I'm a child of God. I'm a new creature. So that old person you're talking about, devil, doesn't exist anymore. And the final thing that happens when we're submitted to God uh, that we have here is we have his righteousness. So you're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Go down to verse 21. He made him who is Jesus, who knew no sin, look at this, to be sin. You got, you got to let that hit you square between the eyes. He let Jesus be sin. He let Jesus be sin. If you understand your Old Testament, you know that what they would do is they would have that scapegoat, that God, by the Spirit, would allow them to transfer the sin of the people to that goat and then send it out of the camp so the sin would leave. He made Jesus to be that sin. All the handwriting of the sin of the requirement and the, that, was, that was against us and contrary to us, he made him be sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. That we might become. Why did God put Jesus up on the cross? Why does God say in Isaiah 53 that it pleased the Father to crush his son? Is God sadistic? What's wrong with him? No, it pleased the Father to crush his son up on that cross because he was winning an entire world, making an entire world as righteous as his son when you come to God and you submit to his authority and you're submitted under him, you're forgiven and you're free. You're a child of God. You're a new creature and you are righteous, which means you right now, if you are born again, you have right standing with God. That if God was to look at you right now, if the, if the heavens were to open and he was to come and you're born again, he will judge you based on the righteousness of Jesus. I don't care if you sinned this morning. I don't care if you sin right now. Right now. Oh, that guy up there. No, I don't care. It doesn't, it's not me. His word says that you are his righteousness, period. And so that's got to begin to sink in. Being under his authority is not just, okay, Lord, I'll go to Africa if you send me to Africa. Okay, well, why don't we just start with your identity? Okay, why don't we just change your profile picture, all right, and stop trying to go and save the world? Let's talk about you right now. God, whatever you say about me, I'm willing to accept. I'll obey your word. If your word says I'm righteous, I believe I'm righteous. If your word says I'm forgiven and free, I believe I'm uh, forgiven and free. If your word says I'm a child of God, I believe I'm a child of God. If your word says I'm a new creature, I'm a new creature by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's it. See, we're looking at trying to tip this scale to live victorious in Christ, and we need to apply the grace. Stop looking at your sin under a microscope and start pulling out the telescope and looking at the solution because the solution is the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And when we submit ourselves under his authority, we find our identity. The second thing that happens when we submit ourselves under God's authority is we are in protection zone. My mama called it the umbrella of protection. I'm going to kind of stop here and tell you about the umbrella of protection. See, when I was a kid, I got really rebellious for a while. I'll never forget, I was standing in my parents' living room. My mom says to me, Kurt, you're part of this family. You're living in sin. As, a, as, as somebody in this family, as a follower of Christ, you are under his protection. You are under his umbrella of protection. But the moment you start doing your will and step out from underneath, you are open game. 
you are open game. And I found out how quickly you get shot at when you are open game. And I said to myself, no, (laughs) I'm going back under the umbrella of protection. And that's where I remain even to this day. Now, that's a that's a, a family example, but it's true in God's family. See, when you are submitted to his authority, you're under his umbrella of protection. You say, Pastor Kurt, what does that umbrella look like? Read Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my strength, my God and him whom I trust. It just goes on. <laughs> it just gets better. Say, man, what's that umbrella Pastor Kurt was talking about? Well, I can't talk about it. I get a credit to my mom, you know. She, but that umbrella, that's Psalm 91. You want to know what the umbrella is? Go read Psalm 91 when you get home later today. You want to stay in that umbrella of protection. Most people think being submitted to God's authority is all about what he's going to tell you to do and what you have to do now that you're a Christian. I'll tell you what, one of the number one reasons people won't accept Christ is because we keep adding to God's grace. The church keeps telling people, you got to do this. I know you got saved, but you got to do this. You got to do that. No, no, God's grace is sufficient for whatever that weakness is. Whatever it is, his grace is sufficient. So we can stop adding to God's grace, allow Christ by the Holy Spirit to work within people and work within ourselves. So we submit to God and we discover our identity. We're going to change a couple images this morning. The next thing we do now, so it's the, the James 4, 7 says, submit to God. The next part is resist the devil. You remember that from James 4, 7? Submit to God, resist the devil. Well, before we can talk about resisting the devil, we've got to change our image of the devil. We've been scrolling through Facebook, and we've seen all these images of the devil. We've seen his profile picture here. We've seen his profile picture here. But we need to get the right profile picture of who the devil actually is. See, most people, excuse me, most people have the mentality and the picture and the image of the big old devil and the little old me. That could not be further from the truth. So I've been married 10 years now, and I have discovered in 10 years, there is a very specific sound that my wife makes when she sees an arachnid, a spider, a spider. It's a very specific sound that comes out of my wife when she sees a spider. And I'm just, you may want to bring my mic down because I'm just going to illustrate that for you because she's not here. You know, first couple years of marriage, hold on, Dad, I'm coming. And by the time I got there, what? You know, that's such a murderous scream. What, what's going on? Ah! It's, it's not even the size of a quarter. It's, it's a dime. It's, we don't have, you would think there's a tarantula. You would think there's a poisonous spider. You would think there's a jumping spider in our house. But... It's the size of a dime. So now, (laughs) even yesterday, she's screaming like bloody murder, and I'm just kind of taking my time. All right, honey, I'll be right there. See, it's funny, but we need to start applying that image to our our own life. What is it about that dime-sized spider that puts my wife in such fear? What is it? Because in her mind, in her mind, her image of that spider is bigger than her. And you know what? It's not the big old devil and the little old you. 
you have the power by the grace of God to walk over to that devil and stomp that devil positionally. That's where God has put you. That's the grace you get to apply to your life. That's where he has put you. But most Christians walking around with that image of the devil, the big old devil, and the little old me. Not true. Why do we view the devil as so powerful? You know, the Bible actually teaches us that one day we're going to be surprised. People are going to be shocked. In the spiritual world, in heaven, they're going to be like, what? That's him? All my life, 85 years that's him or 120. I'm not trying to kill you too soon. 120. That's him. You know, we laugh, but I I think we're going to be sad because we let him rule us all those years. Him. Why didn't I get a better picture? Let's change our image, not just of ourselves. Let's change our image of the devil this morning. And let's find out what has actually happened to him. In the book of Colossians, we already went there. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to go to verse 15 now. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. So after Christ did for us, wiped out all of our sin and the receipt of debt, that was against us. After he did that for us, this is what he did in the spiritual world. Verse 15, having disarmed. Okay, so let's say before Christ that the enemy had some weapons he could file against you. Maybe he had some things he could pull on you. But because of Christ and in Christ, Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. If you travel to different parts of Europe, they have those Arc de Triumphs things, those giant column things. Some of you who are smarter than me know what I'm talking about. And so after a war, what they would do is they would strip all those high people, the educators, the leaders, they would strip them of their power, their authority, and their prestige. They, maybe you've seen in the movies when they, when they you know, disavow somebody, they pull that, that, whatever that accreditation is, they pull it off. They would strip them of that, and they would tr- take them on a, on a circuit around that Arc de Triomphe to show the rest of the people, we have victory over these people. We have conquered these people. That's what Jesus did in the spiritual. He stripped him of whatever power he actually may have had And he made a public display of him, carrying him by the hands all around in the spiritual world. And positionally, God has put you above the devil. That's why you can resist the devil. So as we look further to resisting the devil, we have to know our enemy. Let me tell you this. How many of you are big sports fans? Okay. So if you're a sports fan, how many of you have ever played sports? Okay. High school level? Okay. Because they don't really do it at the younger level. Maybe they do. But, you know, these great sports teams, they don't just get out on the field. They don't just get into the court and start practicing with one another. See, the practice on the field and the practice in, in, on the court, like we do here at church, that builds cohesion. It builds team. But what happens in that video room is they begin to watch 
how the opponent plays so they can discover their weaknesses. And so you and I, it's not enough just to come to church and to build cohesive unit as a family, as a body of Christ, but we've got to get into the devil's playbook. We've got to, not, this is not the devil's playbook, but we have to take a look at the playbook. We have to take a look at the video and see how the devil responds in situations so that we can understand his weaknesses and we can get out there and we can resist him. We can resist him. Because if we're going to apply this grace of God to our lives, it's not just enough to change our image of ourselves. That's the first step. It's not enough to change your image of the devil, but the Bible tells us in James 4, 7 that we actually have to resist him. Listen, you don't have to go out looking for the devil. He's already going to come looking for you. But, but you've got to keep this in your mind. When he comes to look at you, he's that little spider on the floor. He's that little spider. Even if he starts crawling on you, what's he going to do? What's he going to do to you? What's he going to do to you? Nothing. Resist the devil. So what is the power that works against the devil? Here we go. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Sports teams. It's not just on the field or in the court, but they watch the video to discover the weaknesses. No general goes to war without having put forth a strategy, a strategy built on some of the weaknesses of their enemy. And we've got to do the same thing here. What are the enemy's weaknesses? Ephesians chapter 6, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Here we go. Chapter 6. Just for, for the sake of our study, I want to read this down from verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you're there, shout at me and say, I got it. Okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. See, one of the things you've got to understand about the devil is that he has no power. And so everything that he's doing is a smokescreen. The reason the devil looks so big to us is because he operates in the shadows. And a shadow is always bigger than the thing itself, isn't it? And so many of us, we need to actually put our minds and our spiritual eyes into the light and start looking at the devil through the light of God's word because the devil's operating in the shadows. He looks big and scary, but he really hasn't because Christ has already disarmed him. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers, against uh, powers, against rulers of darkness of this present age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, talking about changing your identity, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about that, your identity, your righteous, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're moving forward in peace, not in fear. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If you were to study this out and take a look at this, what you discover is that the enemy is throwing out those darts all the time. But if you have your shield of faith up, you're going to first quench those darts, you know, and that's a protection that we need to have. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith. The devil's weaknesses are really the word of faith. The weakness of the devil is really the word of faith. And I don't mean the word of faith movement. I mean the word spoken in faith. Faith is your position. And so you could speak the word of God in faith. 
And so, so many of us, we make the mistake that Eve made. But I, I won't go there because of time, but... If you look at Genesis chapter 3, the great fall, even people in the world know the fall. The great fall that happened, happened because Adam and Eve did not understand their identity. You know, there really wasn't any difference between Adam and Jesus. Read your Bible. One is called the first Adam. The other is called the last Adam. God said, let us make man in our own image. So there really wasn't much difference between the first Adam and the last Adam. The only reason the first Adam failed was because he didn't know who he was. When the devil was talking, you'll become like God, he didn't know that he was already made like God. And the reason that Jesus was able to win, you want to see the temptation of Jesus? You want to see how? We're going to do that in just a moment, so I won't go there. But Jesus understood who he was who he was to the Father. And so we need to also understand who we are. I'm going to show you this here. If you want to go to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to see the temptation of Jesus. How is it that Jesus was able to live a pure and spotless life? How was he able to do that? We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. This is a powerful scripture because this actually gives us how we are to resist the devil. See, in order for me to stand confidently up against that spider, I have to first have the right image of myself. I have to second have the right image of that spider. But then I actually have to go over there and step on that spider, don't I? Otherwise, I'm going to be ruled by that spider and the fear that it's creating in my life. I have to put my foot down upon that spider. And so the same thing, you've got to get the right image of yourself. You've got to be confident. You've got to get the right image of the devil and recognize how small he actually is. But then you actually have to put forth the word of faith. And again, don't don't think about the movement. Think about the word. The Bible says that it is the shield of faith that's going to quench the darts. And it is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, that's going to come through the power of the enemy in your life. And Eve didn't do that. Eve had a discussion with the devil. So when that temptation comes and he starts talking to you, oh, you should really do this. Nobody's home. Oh, you should really do that. You should say this because nobody's going to know. No one's going to know. You see, if we stop right there at that pivotal moment, we have to train ourselves because at that pivotal moment, we've got to be ready to make that decision. If you are willing to discuss, you're going to fail every time. If you're willing to have a discussion with the devil, read Genesis chapter 3, you're going to fail every time. But you can put him in his place because James 4, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're going to see how Jesus made the devil flee right here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, let's put this into perspective real quick because this is important to break down. Most people think that God is tempting them. God's allowing me to be tempted. Well, the scripture clearly tells us here that who did the tempting? The devil is doing the tempting. And if you really don't believe me, go to the book of James chapter one. James says, don't be deceived. God is only good. And, and, and when you're going through temptation, it's not God who has tempted you because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Again, we got to get the right image of the devil. God is for you. He is not against you. So he's not tempting you. Oh, I hope, I hope they're good. Let's see what happens if I toy with it. That's not God. That's not God. The enemy is out there like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's going to find out very quickly whether you've got your shield of faith up and your sword of spirit ready to cut through. So then Jesus was led up by the spirit 
uh, to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days afterward, he was hungry. Now, when the tempter came to him, see, just reaffirming it right there. When the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. I'm just going to tell you real quick, if you look, Jesus faced the same temptation that Eve faced in the garden, that Adam and Eve faced. There are only three forms. You need to know this. It's not totally, but there are only three ways the devil can tempt you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. See, if we know how he operates, we can disarm that power that comes against us. He can only operate with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Adam and Eve and Jesus faced the same thing. So the devil says this to him in verse 4, but he answered, it is written. It is written. How do you cut through the power of the enemy? With the word of faith with the word of God. You don't stand there and have a discussion with the devil. It is written. Oh, but you should go out and do this. Remember how that used to feel? That person's dead. It is written. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I'm not listening to you, devil. Verse five, then the devil took him up. So temptation one didn't work. Many of us quit when that, when many of us, we start resisting the devil because we heard the power of God's word and the grace we can apply, but we quit too soon. And we wonder why we didn't win. The devil tempts Jesus again. Verse five, the devil took him up to a holy place and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said again, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up to an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left. Then the devil left. Then the devil left. Listen, do not become weary in well-doing. You've got to resist that temptation. Positionally, you're standing so much greater than the devil. And to apply the grace of God in your life, you've got the image of who you actually are and the image of who the devil actually is. And now you're resisting. You're standing fast in the faith. You're applying the word of God to that situation. Every time he starts talking to you, you're speaking the word back. And if you keep doing that, but you got to know the word that applies to your situation. So today, here's what you've got to do. If you're sitting here and you're saying, that's all great, but I don't know. You got to get into the word and you got to find out what the word is that's going to meet your weakness. What is your area of weakness? What is the sin that's holding you down? What is that weakness that that thing that keeps taunting you? Find the word that comes up against that and begin to apply that word in your life. And that's where you're going to win. I love this because I began to think about how the enemy actually comes at us and he, he comes at us in a few different ways. Number one is fear. Just listen to this list. The enemy, his weapons. What are the, what are the enemy's weapons? Number one, it's fear. Number two, it's lies and deception. Number three is sickness. Four is temptation. And five ultimately is sin. So what weapons does the enemy actually have against the church? Fear, lies, sickness, temptation, and sin. But for every weapon... There is a word that's absolutely right because for fear, there is faith, okay? For lies, there is truth. For sickness, there is health. 
For temptation, there is the word. And for sin, there is salvation and forgiveness. See, every way he tries to come against you, there's an answer for it in the word of God. You are more than able by the power of the Holy Spirit within you to resist the devil in every form he comes against you. Some people are sitting here and say, well, I don't have any problem with sin. Okay, that's great. That's awesome. But here's the deal. Many of us are so religious in our thinking that if the devil can't get us with sin, he gets us with, gets us with religion. I've got to live this way. I've got to keep up my image so everybody knows who I am. Man, they don't need to know who you are. They need to know who Jesus is. And the very fact that you might fall and stumble and Jesus picks you back up and starts you over is a great testimony to them. You don't have an image to keep up. You just have to bear the name of Jesus. You have to apply the grace of God to your life, and he's the one that's going to do it. So we've got our training. We've got our fight. And finally, we have our victory. There's a beautiful scene. You know, after you've resisted, after you have fought that good fight, I just think about the football players. I think about the greatest football team on the face of the earth, the New England Patriots. Don't be judging them by preseason because that's going to be a problem. There's no, this is the greatest football team on the face of the earth, man. This is, they're awesome. I'm so excited for every time football comes around. But anyways, what I'm trying to tell you is this. There's that passionate moment at the end of the football game when they rally around one another and hug each other and do all sorts of weird things that if you're not in football, you don't understand. But, but they, they just have this bond. Why? Because they recognize they could not have done it without each other. There's a great moment when that fighter has been in the ring and he's all beaten up and he wins. He stood, he held fast and he won. And there's that beautiful moment where his wife comes out of the chairs "Ah!" and she makes her way up to the ring and they just hug and they kiss. Why? Because he knows without her strength, without her faithfulness, he would not have won. The scripture says, draw near to God. That's our training. The scripture says, resist the devil. That's the fight. The scripture says, oh no, I'm sorry. The the scripture, James 4, 7 says, I I gotta get, I totally, not, but draw is the last one. What's the first one? Thank you. Submit to God. That's our training. Submit to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. But the next part, this is our victory. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You know that beautiful scene when a soldier has come home from war and he sees his family. You, you come on, you get all blubbery. They do it on Facebook all the time. He sees his family and the video and it's just this beautiful reunion because he knows without their prayers, without their support, he or she would never have made it on the front lines. And that's what the scripture is telling us here. You submit to God for your training. You resist the devil in the fight, but you can draw up right towards God and he'll draw near to you because you know it's your source of strength. You know that it is him in you. He, he by the Holy Spirit has made you victorious. And so you huddle up close, you draw near to him and you be refreshed and you have that union once again. And that is how we live victorious in this life. We submit to God, we resist the devil and we draw near to him. That is the way to do it. Stop trying to pluck your sin Stop trying to keep yourself weighed down by religion out of the basket. Stop trying to do that and just simply apply the grace of God to your life. How do you do that? Submit to God, resist the devil, and draw near to God. That's it. You do that, and you're going to live victorious in Christ. Let me pray for us today.
Father, I thank you for your word. It is a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our path. And I pray right now for everyone in this room. I know so many are, are bogged down with the weight of either religion or the weight of sin. And God, you want us free. You want us free. And so right now, we just thank you that your word is settling inside of our heart. What we heard today, we're beginning to meditate on the truth of who you are and how you've called us to live. And I thank you right now, Lord, by your spirit, that you're touching every heart. In the name of Jesus.